Hello everyone, we are on the second part of our recap of the Singapore International Festival of Arts. This time we're talking about the international shows. We have got a full studio here. We have Chan Sewei. Hi there. We have Sean Chua. Hello. Felipe Cervera. Hello. And Naim Kapadia. Hello. Some of them are in the distance, but don't worry, they will get a mic later. We have, of course, Kathy Rowland. Hello. And we have me. I have not seen very much. I'll join in later. But first of all, we are starting with... Guilty Landscapes 3 by Dries Verhoeven. He is really one of the hottest performance makers in the world at the moment. He's uh, from the Netherlands and his works have a knack of breaking outside of the art news circle into the wider media space because of some of his strategies and some of the ways that he plays with issues of privacy, issues of reality and yes, and just touching hot button issues for all of us. Guilty Landscape was a one-on-one piece, and um, Zoe, would you like to just quickly describe a little bit about it? Sure. So the experience is billed as a video installation, which is for one person at a time. So you buy your tickets, you book your slot, and you're told you're going to have 10 minutes with the installation. Should I spoiler right into it? Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a lot of waiting because you, you've got these like 10 minute slots going on. So I was there right ahead of Kathy, in fact. Um, and uh, I get ushered into a kind of white cube that's been constructed from the 7213 white box space, but like a, a shoebox. And um, there's nothing in the shoebox except right at the end, the far wall is entirely filled with a projection of a crumbling city in the middle of a war. Mm. And I, I look at it and immediately I know it's Syria. Well, of course, yes. guilty landscapes is what we've been watching mm. on TV. And shortly after that, one man enters this completely desolate street in a very clean shirt and walks across the rubble and sits down in a chair right in front of me. And then I realize there's a chair for me too. And I sit down with him. And this is the encounter that lasts for 10 minutes. And it takes me some time to realize that it is a live encounter. Mm. And I actually didn't do very much. I really enjoyed just sitting with him and mm. looking at him and smiling at him. Um, he sang me a song. Yes. <laughs> but other of my friends had some quite um, more involved encounters. They waved at him. They, um, I guess they kind of like stood up and made different motions and mirrored each other. And one of my friends right. even tried to hug him, mm -hmm. which cut the live feed camera. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> But it came back on after that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, after around the end of that 10 minute slot, he just goes away. And what was your main emotion leaving the space after the encounter? Frankly, at the point at which I left the encounter, I was kind of disappointed. In a sense, it was a very obvious setup and he kind of reveals all. You see the promotional pictures. Um, yeah. They didn't show us Syria, but I mean, it, I think it wasn't a big surprise that it was Syria. There's the sense of the one-to-one -one encounter, but it's very simple mm -hmm. in that way. So I think after the performer left, I kept sitting there waiting for something else to happen and it didn't, of course, then the video just cut. Mm. I was like, okay, is that all this piece has to offer? Was that right. how you felt, Kathy? I was very nonplussed by it as well. Mm. I think... Um, First of all, when I went in, I assumed that it was just a running video and I didn't actually realize 
that he was going to react to me. Then when he started reacting to me, I thought it was, it reminded me of Team Lab, you know, how the video is, you know, is actually programmed to respond to movements. I was thinking, this is some pretty heavy, you know, shit, right, in terms of technology. But it became clear that actually it was someone, you know, there. And immediately I realized that I was being filmed, uh, which bothered me quite a lot. Um, and I recall then it struck me that when I walked in, there's a little, um, like a little lectern where it says uh, the name of the work and it says performance for two with two chairs. And so I then, you know, it all kind of fell into place that I was part of this work and I sat down. I'm, I hate interaction. I've said this before. I, I hate any kind of interaction in, you know, in the Reach in over and touch you. Yes, it's like, oh, you know. And so my wave was very small. I was very shy. I just didn't like it. I, so I did not enjoy the experience, I think for me, the idea of the guilt didn't come from seeing this work about Syria, but came from the fact that this was a piece in an art festival. So did it come across as some kind of accidental Skype? Because that's what it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was too good a quality of the Skype. And I think that's one thing that made me quite suspicious of the whole setup. So my whole mind was in overdrive during the 10 minutes. I don't feel I was very present because I was looking at thinking it's like, if this is Syria, you're not going to have this kind of connection. Yeah. And oh, and I didn't read the little signboard. I I wondered if he was in a room in the space itself. Mm. Sean, what was your experience? Yeah, no, I'm quite curious because um, I think in your review you said that in the promotional material it kind of gave the game away already because I guess I wasn't prepared at all for that. So maybe I was missing something (laughs) because I I, I guess um, when I was reading the material I I knew that it was going to be a a one-person experience. Mm Not necessarily a one-to-one encounter, but at least an, a kind of experience that's, that's designed mm-hmm. for one person. Um, to be honest, I felt I was quite overwhelmed, actually. It was quite a difficult experience for me. I remember stepping out and feeling very, very raw, um, kind of wishing that there had been a space to mm-hmm. decompress or at least some kind of uh, initiation into that space. I guess also because there's been so many times where I've been disappointed by these kinds of live interactions mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. it turns out that, oh, actually it was programmed all along. Right. The projections yeah. are indifferent to yeah. your, your frantic yeah. movements, etc. Yeah. Because when I think when I first started, I, there were, I, I made some tentative movements and it seemed like he was he mirroring. He was copying it, right. <laughs> but not quite, but still quite uncanny. Could have been an accident, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. a so, very strange one. So it was, I was like dwelling in the uncanny space of, is he really mirroring me or not for about... Um, so that happened for a while until I was like, okay, whatever, there's a chair in front of me. I'm going to go towards the chair and just like lie down on the chair. And then that was when he started moving towards me and then like sitting on the chair right. as well. And that's when I realised that, um, oh, okay, he is actually responding to me. And then so, you know, I, I, I tried to virtually kind of caress or, or express like these motions of being with. And I think when he was singing to me as well, I... I think there was this desire to offer a song in return as well, uh, <laughs> at least on my part. Um, and then I, I eventually I found the the little camera and embedded in the wall mm-hmm. as well. But, I mean, for me that that didn't necessarily affect my so experience. You I didn't. I, I wish I did. But so a lot of the frustration came because the first because the first five minutes was kind of wasted on like yeah. oh is he real is he not like da da da, yeah. da. Yeah, yeah. so so I so that was where and then the moment that you realize that he's present with you the experience does that have finished. some kind of retrospective shock though does that 
make you reconsider what the first five minutes were? Yeah, it did. So I think that's what I meant about that rawness or that desire in which there was some kind of initiation. I'm thinking very quickly also mm-hmm. of um, how this reminded me of Jennifer Doyle when she was talking about, uh, in her book, Hold It Against Me, and she was talking about her experience with one of Adrian Howell's work, uh, I think it was Help. And so against one of those one-on-one experiences, mm-hmm. right, that, that interaction. Mm-hmm. And she talks about that moment in which she deliberately sabotages that encounter by by not turning up, right? And then she's reflecting about what about the experience is kind of repelling her? Because she is so used to very radical kinds of experimental performance art, etc. So what about this intimacy is repelling her? And she starts talking about the difficulty of being present with another person. And, and so that, that's something that I've been thinking about and, and kind of wanting to unpack about what is this experience that I have? It feels very unresolved. Mm. But you, you're saying that when you walked in and you saw this installation, this work and this boy, you say you're moved, but what was the experience that you felt and why in that room? Mm. Um, I think for me, it wasn't so much guilt or the, the guilt that came is not because he was in Syria, but mm-hmm. the guilt of a kind of wasted time, you know, that I wish that I could have been more present with this other person right. or have some kind of connection that I kind of squandered away okay. trying to wave around and trying to see if it was real. Did you not feel that the fact that it's a video connection rather than a real life one stacked the cards against you? But what do you mean by stacked against me? Well, I'm talking to you now. You're in the same room. Yeah. You know, we're breathing the same air. If this were a Skype call, it would be different. I would not feel as connected. If I'm asking you over Skype to feel guilty that you're not connecting with me, that's rather an unfair question, right? Because it's it's not a real connection. Yeah, I guess for me, the falcon of the guilt wasn't because I wasn't in Syria with him. But I guess that's the precarity of that connection, right? Knowing that once I leave this room, I will probably not ever have that opportunity to connect with him. But Verbhoven has worked with migrants and refugees, right? There's another piece of work I've read about where actually you have uh, migrants that access your guide around the city. But in this piece, the artificiality of it all, the art of it all... I just could not see past the Mm. artifice of it, you know, and perhaps his reputation also precedes him. In my mind, I keep thinking about, you know, the circuit of mega superstar art makers that travel, the festival circuit, Mm. and they become an attraction at festivals. And so for me, the work which says that you are so indifferent Mm. when you watch things on TV and this work attempts to change that, I didn't see that at all. So I was very troubled by mm. that. And mm. so I wonder, is actually the claim that he's making about guilt, in fact, something that's actually maybe giving him a lot more credit than he deserves? Or, or maybe he is genius, that it is the guilt of being part of that network where as much as you are advocating for, you know, the rights of other people, you're also, it's a step ladder for your own reputation, for your own content, for your own position. I don't know. So I'm quite interested to see that your experience was so emotional. It seems he really achieved Mm. what he said he would do. And Zoe? um, So for me, I was quite sceptical and disappointed in the moment. But after the show, I realised, after the show, after the experience, um, I realised that it had gotten its kind of claws into me much more deeply than I thought. And it had me thinking about the divisions that we have between a privileged world and a world which is very unstable Mm -hmm. and dangerous for many people out there Mm -hmm. and how it's very easy to just put the sheet of perspex or the Skype screen down in between us. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really gotten me going thinking about what things I can do in the world. 
But for this piece, um, I guess when I started to think about it also sort of objectively, I don't think Verhoeven is there. I don't think his stated objective is to make us feel guilty. It's to present something which is kind of known to already Mm -hmm. have that effect. And I think it it becomes very clear to me that he's not trying to take any kind of moralistic position on this. There's nothing which you sort of should be doing because of it. And that ambiguity remains there, how you take that situation, which is just brought artificially closer to you than it, it the, normally uh, would be. Yeah, the provocation remains in the title. Kathy, if it had been called Alien Landscapes, would you have liked it better? Um, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have, you know, felt as directed and it wouldn't have been so pointed, perhaps, mm. you know, um, and I wouldn't judge it so harshly, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, I think just to respond to that, I think in my experience, I guess the frame of guilt was something that submerged in the background, mm. even the landscape and the mm. wherever it was, right? I think for me, what kind of gave it primacy was that cheeky encounter mm-hmm. that that was real. And that became the overwhelming connection for me. And so what? I think after looking up some of Verhoeven's other works online, I'm a bit disappointed at how simplistic mm. this one was. Mm. But I think I appreciate this, if not just for the work, also in its being placed in this festival context and within the pressures Mm. of work needing to reach large numbers and Mm. generate a lot of ticket sales in Singapore. And that's something which I think is quite important. And I'm glad it was there for that. That's a great point. Thank you, Soe. So let's move on to talk about our next production for today, Germinal. Shall I be pretentious and keep pronouncing it in French? Germinal. Um, by Alori Gorget and Antoine Defort, my A-level French. I knew it would be useful for something. Uh, Sean saw that. Naeem saw that. Naeem has been neglected so far. He is now sitting by a mic. Tell us about Germinal. Well, Germinal. Uh, well, I have to say that I read the abstract of the performance. I was going to say play, and I don't think that was quite right. Mm. Um, And I know nothing of philosophy, and I know nothing of science. So I wanted to just come in as a complete noob and let it wash over me. And wash over me, it did. Because it's really a sort of play that, again, I said play, but it's a sort of performance that sort of sees the four performers just really having fun. You start yeah. with absolutely well, play, nothing. right? They play. They just really have fun. And y- you know what? Everyone in the crowd was also having fun. I think that's that's something I have to give to them. That the few CIFA shows where you look around and people are laughing and giggling and there's this genuine response, even though the subject matter may be a little vague, a little abstract, but there is just so much joy in yeah. the whole process of watching and seeing them perform. Um this production, which essentially is their take on creating a new world from scratch. Yeah, so they're stuck on stage in an empty box of a stage, and they need to create or discover everything that will create a universe, including physical laws, including language, including music, starting from absolute zero. Sean, your thoughts? It was just... I mean, my favourite part was um, when they were trying to classify the sounds of things. Oh, yeah. Everything's like le poc poc. <laughs> and I think the thing that I will forever take away is the definition of catharsis. Le poc poc in my heart. I think that is the the best kind of definition um, for This catharsis. is going to need a bit of explanation for people who didn't see it. So they're going around and they've got a microphone. 
and they decide that they've got to categorize all the elements of their world, and the first thing they do when they start categorizing is they bang the microphone against something, and the sound they say that makes is pock pock. And then that <laughs> locks them into categorization. So they start hitting all the physical objects, and most of them do indeed make a pock pock sound. And then they start coming onto intangibles like happiness and embarrassment. And if you try and hit those with a mic, you know what? They don't go pock pock. So you have the classifications pock pock, non pock pock, and as Sean said, eventually pock pock in my heart. It's so funny. <laughs> but equally, do you know what? I've been in management meetings, and when you try and sort things out, and people come up with stupid categories, and sometimes I'm one of those people. And that sense of grasping in the dark, it's very human. Mm. There is. And I think um, the other thing which for me really stood out was the multimedia work in this production. And yeah. it's a production which relies so heavily on it because, you know, you have a bare stage for performers and then, you know, they're trying to draw this mind map. They're trying to make sense of their world. And almost literally as they speak, words just appear and they move around and they reappear and it looks effortless, yeah. almost like magic. But one can imagine the precise rehearsing, the precise kind of, you know, um, work that went into ensuring that it appears exactly as natural as it seems. There was never a moment when you even feared for a second that it would go wrong. It was just mm. absolutely perfect throughout. And even in well-made productions, you usually have that bit of lag where you're like, mm, did they just miss a little bit? No, not at all. Perfect throughout. Yeah. I think there's so much to gush about Jimmy right? And I'm wondering, like, is there any point of it that, you know, you felt like maybe that wasn't working okay, so well? Yes, there was. They've got this closed universe, a box on stage, and yet they are able to leave it by a door and go to an outside that the audience cannot see. And it's the most minor possible complaint I could make. But for me, my brain says that's outside the universe. You're not allowed to have that. Oh, really? I think for me, that wasn't an issue because the way that they bracketed that outside mm. space, if anything, they seem to, to suggest that having that outside space was really what allowed this interior space to remain stable. I bought that over the intercom. There's a scene on an intercom where they talk um, to like a phone operator who sells yeah. you elements of universes like physical laws, the laws of thermodynamics. Yeah. And if that connection had been built into the box and they're able to communicate with her. Okay. But if they can walk through that door and go to backstage, why can't they keep walking to the green room? Why can't they leave through the SOTA exit right, and go right. to Plaza Singh? Mm -hmm. Okay. But you know what? That's just activating the most literal part of my brain that I hate about myself. So I'm fine about that. You know, If that's all I can say that I didn't like about this production, then I loved this production. Yeah, and I think that that's where it really excels in just sort of making, I think, as, as I said in my review for one of a better phrase, like a theory of everything literally yeah. out of nothing. Yeah. You know, it plays with language, it plays with elements of communication and some of the most simple tricks in the book for an actor, you know, just kind of playing off each other's responses, just making silly one-liners and it just works. And, you know, the production was conceived in French. I don't think any of the humour was lost no. even in it being translated to English. I think everyone in the crowd was really lapping it up and, and that's fantastic. 
I had a brief conversation with um, Alfian right after the show and I think yeah. he made a comment. I mean, I was I was still in the afterglow and gushing and like, oh, lip yeah, yeah. in my heart, etc. Yeah. <laughs> and and I remember he, he was making a comment and, and saying that, yeah, but you know, don't you find that it's somewhat too self-satisfied, a little smug, you know, like it's playing for a certain well, kind of... Uh, do you know audience. what? I liked that because essentially this is absurdism. It's a group of people attempting to make sense of a world that basically refuses to. And think of all those plays. Think of Godot, Endgame, The Mm. Chairs, even things that are superficially light, like The Bald Soprano. Mm. They're all skating on the thinnest of ice. You fall through and you will freeze to death in the existential cold. Mm. And yet in this, towards the end of it, they realize that this series of coherent actions that they're going to do to create a timeline of meaning for their universe that makes it worthwhile they realize that it will come to an end, mortality, you know, the end of everything. And yet, whereas Beckett or Ionesco might have done something very dark and soul-destroying there, they decide to sit in a swamp, don't ask, a swamp, they decide to sit in a swamp and do a sing-along about their achievements and um, singing along to a guitar, celebrating it in a kind of ritualistic manner. And if you think of existentialism and how it applies to absurdism in a theater, existentialism says, okay, there is no meaning bestowed upon us by God or any external meaning. We have to create our own. And usually the plays say we have to create our own, but we can't. This is the play that said we have to create our own and damn it, we'll give it a good go. And if Alfian saw that as smug, then I saw that as curiously uplifting. And that's the thing. I think for me, that ending was just so wonderful because you sort of spend, you know, like an hour watching them kind of fumble their way around these different modes of communication. And suddenly in that final sort of coda of two minutes, they're sort of making sense in in a completely warped way, in a really theatrical way with light and sound playing. They finally found a rhythm in this world and it's working. And, you know, they're happy and... Everyone has a smile on their face. Um, You know, we can make fun of absurdism. We can make fun of existentialism and we can have a damn good time doing it. I mean, you know, we mentioned that it's a kind of clothes system, but I think by the end, you know, you feel like you're part of that universe already, (laughs) right? And I think I was wondering why I felt so moved and almost sad, right? Like uh, one of the few moments within the the season where I felt like, oh wow, I feel like I'm losing something by the time I, I reach the end of that play. Yeah, there is like that catharsis and I think you really are brought into this little wacky world, which I think I quite applaud the commission and it's an definitely. interesting thing to bring in, definitely. I too had Pock Pock in my heart. <laughs> Moving on. So the final closing piece at Sifa was uh, probably the work with the longest titles. And so you see, our honourable blue sky and ever-enduring sun can only be consumed slice by slice. Very poetic, Um, Cathy, thank you. Yes. Um, And it's a work that actually features the performer Albert Ibokwe Koza, and it's directed by, Felipe? Robin Orlin. You reviewed it for Arts Equator. I did. And can you tell us a little bit maybe about the work first? Right. So um, you enter the space. It it was staged at Sota's Black Box. So it's a black box show. You enter the space. The space is lit with red. There's a red atmosphere to it. And you're confronted with a body. I mean, you can figure out there is a body sitting down on a sofa, but looking upstage. So you actually see the back of the body. 
And offstage, there's a camera and a cameraman recording the body looking at you. And to close up the circuit, you can also see what the camera is recording on a screen upstage. Right. So it's it already is a bit, um, you, you get the sense that this is going to be a show that involves multimedia, that involves mm -hmm. uh, closed circuit TV, mm -hmm. and that is going to be strange. Yeah. Uh, the first quarter of the show is really the performer, Albert, uh, unraveling himself. He's wrapped with first by a layer of, of plastic wrap. Cling film, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then by this cloth, I don't know what material. So he unravels himself, he unwraps himself, and as he does, he he has this really impulsive, would be the, I think the word, score, doing several things that you can't really figure out what exactly are they. Mm -hmm. uh, he eats an orange, he plays with a knife, and I mean, he goes to the extent of hurting himself. Oh. He plays with several props, hurting mightily, but nonetheless hurting, because there's a close-up to his body, so you can see the cuts of previous shows in his Ugh. body. And he eats the orange. I mean, that he eats cut, the orange. He eats the orange with the knife, and he cuts the, the the orange with the knife. Then yeah. he uses the knife to put. And this is a big kitchen knife. He uses the knife to actually put the pieces of orange in his mouth, and he licks the knife. So, yeah, all the time you're on edge. You're on edge. Yeah. That first okay. third of a the show. Then it, he begins to verbalize what the show is about, and you discover that it's really about Africa and Africanness and blackness. And you discover this, I mean, the, the moment in which it really becomes very, very evident, he invites two members of the audience to help him undress and wash himself. And I mean, he's very kind in the invitation, but once the, the members of the audience are on stage, he becomes abusive. Oh. Uh, he becomes saying, well, you haven't cleaned here. You don't know how to clean and, you know, not violent but yeah the image is very clear that he's mocking or he's reversing mocking, the yeah, roles yeah. right so, so here we have a black man being cleaned by two white women or chinese women or i don't know in my show where should two chinese women all oh, right in my show it was a young yes a young caucasian boy and a young caucasian woman which is yeah. very you know in yeah, the it, audience where that they would have been a minority it seemed very pointed yeah yeah and then the show evolves uh there's a parody of vladimir putin vladimir putin appears uh, in the screen, size three meters, four meters tall, <laughs> dancing. Uh, so Albert goes on a date with Vladimir Putin and they dance with each other. And then at some point, Vladimir stops dancing and Albert goes like, well, why have you stopped dancing? Is it because I'm a man or wait, because I'm a black man? And it really is about sexual, gender, binaries and nationalities and colonialism. Yeah. And it's, a. I mean, I struggle to understand what it was about. And you mm. You understand that, you know, there doesn't have to be meaning, but it does seem to veer towards the middle. It seems to suddenly take on a particular pointed kind of purposefulness, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which in your review, you had a problem with. It talks about this idea of the seven deadly sins in one of the pre-publicity material. Yeah, in the um, hand program, CFAS hand yeah. program. And yeah. you felt that that wasn't realized at all? No, I think that that brief of the program was written to try to market this yeah. show, try to make, mm. to offer to the spectator some sense of what is going on. Yeah. And and of course, one, one thread, one leitmotiv that moves the show forward is Mozart's Requiem. So mm. my feeling is that, well, there's a Requiem, 
he kind of sexualizes stuff. He kind of stuffs his face with an orange. Sure, he's just seven deadly sins. Yeah, sure, let's just write about it. And then people can interpret according to the way. Mm. That's my feeling. I don't know if Robin Orlin actually decided that it was about that. I didn't get that sense. As I say in my review, I think that the first 15 to 20 minutes are really glorious. They're glorious because there's no text. It's just Albert and Albert. Mm. To be fair, he's one of the best performers that I've seen. And I've seen, I mean, I've been in this business for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, and he's really good. He's, yeah, he's a master. So by the time things begin to be verbalized and make explicit, then, well, mm-hmm. you know, you, you are led to decide on a political point. And the thing with this thing is that the politics of the show become too thin to really address the issues that they're mm-hmm. wanting to raise. Yeah, it for me, it felt like the issues that it veered into which is so almost mundane and ordinary, they are recurrent ideas of global power, you know, the arms trade, because it, of course, ends on the sucker punch of an image of a, a child soldier yeah, yeah, wearing, yeah. you know, little um, fairy wings that, yeah. you, you know, a little girl might wear for a fancy dress, right? Yeah. And it's a stark image. But again, I think you get the almost National Geographic Time magazine nature of that image contrast to the first opening scenes and the scenes of him shrink-wrapped, right? Where he's yeah. struggling to breathe. I mean, so, you know, there's this kind of masochism. There's this idea of, yeah, of yeah, yeah. meat, you know, supermarket meat, you know, of him struggling. Because the at one point, the videographer comes out and cuts breathing holes for him, right? Yeah. He helps him to breathe because he can't breathe. And the shroud, the shrouded body. And then he covers himself with blue paint. Uh, you know, this all really sounds as wild as it is, right? I mean, there's, there's this amazing kind of part where he just smears thick blue paint on Yeah, which would have been coherent with the language that Orlin establishes at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that in the middle, she inserts Vladimir Putin, right? Yeah. Which is quite a statement and it signifies a very precise political position in the current geopolitical climate, mm-hmm. but also a very specific position of gay rights. So the show, while at the beginning it is about this irrational and impulsive and repulsive capacity of the human body, mm-hmm. it becomes a very thin advocacy for gay rights and African rights and black rights, right? So as a spectator, you're really left with little choice to decide what to think about the show. Yeah. You're touched in a part of your being or in a part of your mind that is really shocking, is overwhelming, and then you're, you're directed to think, to use that sensation and think in a determined way. So at the end, you agree with it, but in a completely uninteresting way. Well, yeah. And this final image that Kathy's speaking about, so he ends the show completely covered in blue paint. But this comes after he has made the point that you shouldn't, and he literally says that you shouldn't use your weapons, you should dance with your weapons. Mm. I'm thinking, well, no. (laughs) Right? You shouldn't have weapons. I mean, if if, if you're coherent with your politics, you shouldn't have weapons to begin with. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. But you're idealizing Africa through the weapon, and then I'm a bit uncomfortable with that. Right? I don't understand that point. How do you mean? Well, two things. I mean, I hate to bring the Mexican card, Mm -hmm. but as a Mexican, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't believe the amount of times. And as a Mexican, as an actor, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a recurring trope that I'm invited to perform the Mexican. <laughs> okay, okay. And the stereotype. The stereotype, right? How many and times have you worn a sombrero? Puff. <laughs> right? So, when he plays the African man, and he plays this mm-hmm. thing, 
the way he plays it and the way, I mean, my interpretation of the show, the way she, she unravels her own stage language, her own stage vocabulary and mm -hmm. poetry, it is as if they were saying, well, there's this idea of the mythical Africa in which weapons are really for dance. And while I'm not a specialist in African studies and I cannot claim to know where this idea is valid, at the same time, I'm also saying, well, as a post-colonial subject myself, I wouldn't dare to claim that my land would have been any better had it not been colonized, mm. right? So this idea that because we're Africans and we dance with our weapons, we're morally better, and insert that in the first moments of irrational. I'm like, okay, so what is this show about? Is this show about uh, irrational and repulses and really non mm -hmm. like nonsense? Or are you trying to put forward a political point in an international festival? Right, right. A reification and, of African of an Africanness. Yeah. Right. So you cannot forget the economics and the politics of the material reality of the show, right? Mm -hmm. So where was this show made? By whom? Who is profiting from this show? If we really go down that rabbit hole, then we have to be coherent with who gets paid to the, the show to the show. Does yeah, did the child for soldier yeah. receive funding? Yeah. Or are you using the image of the child soldier? just because he's cute and he mm -hmm. makes a point at the end, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a terrain that is really hard to speak about. It's also terrain that we don't actually have any more time to speak about today, though. Hopefully we'll be able to return to that in a future podcast. So, All okay, right. thank, thank you very you, much. Sean. The thank people we have remaining, Sean and Felipe, thank you very much. Thank you for having us. <laughs> and goodbye.